0: You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com.
3: Here to tell it like it was And how it is
2: To help
3: school you So no one can fool you Brought to you by the good folks At the Lucky Mojo Curio Company In beautiful Forestville, California And online at LuckyMojo.com So now... Without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield.
4: Good evening to you one and all. I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. Welcome once again to the Now You Are. Show. And what a week we have had. We've had all sorts of things uh, going on in the world, uh, some terrible occurrences uh, this last week. And uh, our heartfelt prayers go out to all of those uh, who have been harmed or injured in the attacks that have gone on around the world, and our condolences and sympathies go out to all of those who have lost loved ones in these terrible attacks around the world, and our respects go out to the dead. But life continues on not to be cavalier about that and uh things are going well here in the beautiful state of Texas the temperatures have dipped down and we're enjoying uh, 60 degrees uh in the afternoon and evenings and gets down to The 40s and so at night Supposed to freeze here Come Saturday, if you can believe that And there's a lot of snow uh, Predicted for various places In the nation So wherever you are I hope you're bundled up and warm And safe with those who love you And good wishes to you all This week we've had a number of letters Uh, That have been sent in to us and some private conversations on social media and we're going to be addressing those a little later on in the show specifically later on tonight in the secrets of scriptural sorcery so hold on to your hats for that however before we go any further We are going to go over to the LMC radio newsroom and see what's happening over there. Tonight, uh, our own uh, Wink Winkerson uh, is out in the field uh, on a story for us, which hopefully we'll be bringing you next week, Phil Patchy Fogs at home with his dear wife. Hey, Phil. Hope you're doing good. And so tonight we are pleased to have with us in the newsroom the LMC's own international correspondent, the one, the only, Charlie Witherspoon. So we're going to go over there now. Take it away, Charlie. Good night. This is Charlie Witherspoon reporting for the LMC Radio Network. Today is Thursday, November 19th, the 323rd day of 2015. About are 32 days until winter begins and 42 days left in the year. Today and tomorrow are auspicious days to cut firewood, cut air to increase growth, mow to increase growth, castrate farm animals,
3: dig holes,
4: wean children, potty train, wax floors, get married and start a diet to gain weight. The 19th and 20th are favorable days for planting above ground crops where climate allows. However, seeds planted on the 21st and 22nd will grow poorly and yield little. Today's highlight in history comes to us from this date in 1915 when labor activist Joe Hill was executed by a firing squad in Utah for the murders of Salt Lake City grocer, John Morrison, and his son Arling. Also on this date, in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln dedicated a national cemetery at the site of the Civil War battlefield of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. In 1919, the state rejected the Senate, excuse me, the Senate rejected the Treaty of Versailles by a vote of fifty five in favour, thirty-nine against, short of the two thirds majority needed for ratification. In nineteen twenty four, movie producer Thomas H. Einz died after celebrating his forty second birthday aboard the yacht of newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst. The exact circumstances of his death remain a mystery to this day. In 1942, during World War II, Russian forces launched their winter offensive against the Germans along the Don Front. In 1955, the first issue of the National Review, created by William F. Buckley, Jr., was published. In 1969, Apollo 12 astronauts Charles Conrad and Alan Bean made the second manned landing on the moon. In 1975... The film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, starring Jack Nicholson, was released by United Artists. And in 1990, the pop-dewey duo Millie Vanilli were stripped of their Grammy Award because other singers had lent their voices to the Girl You Know It's True album. Today's birthday greetings go out to actor Alan Young, who's 96. Talk show host Larry King is 82. Talk show host Dick Cavett, 79. Broadcasting and sports mogul Ted Turner, 77. Singer Pete Moore of Smokey Robertson and the Miracles is 76. Actor Dan Haggerty, 74. Fashion designer Calvin Klein, 73. Actor Robert Beltrain, 62. Actress Kathleen Quinlan is 61 today. And actress Alison Janey 56. Actress Meg Ryan, 54. Actress director Jodie Foster 53. Actress Terry Farrell, 52. Singer Tony Rich, 44. And rapper Tigra is 26. We also wish to send out a very special air birthday greetings to Lou Flores, whose birthday was this week. Happy birthday, Lou. Our thought for today comes from American film and stage actress Gene Tierney, who was born this date in 1920 and died in 1991, who said, Wealth, beauty, and fame are transient. When those are gone, little is left except the need to be useful. This has been the news from the LMC Radio Newsroom, reported by Charlie Witherspoon. Up next, Professor Porterfield and the lucky numbers.
2: Lucky number, oh I'm dreaming of lucky numbers, hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. You. Superstition Or even matter. Table with 13 dishes If you make me may, may you please Haven't Hey, that's mommy Yeah, yeah, man Well, all right, yeah Put my truck in group of ducks Cause you know some days may bring
5: you a seven, or oh, maybe a lucky 11 Oh, that's usually 11 Lucky number for me Yeah
4: Yes, and you need not just trust in Goofer Dust as advised by the Nicholas Brothers, but you can be assured that you will get what you need because we have the lucky numbers for you here this and every week. This week's lucky numbers are brought to us by com. Why not stop on by and give it a look? And they are. Twenty two, twenty seven, thirty three, thirty nine, forty seven, and fifty one. Once again, this week's lucky numbers are twenty two, twenty seven, thirty three, thirty nine, forty seven, and fifty one. This week's lucky three digit numbers are 364, that's 364, 554, that's 554, and 674, that's 674. The card of the week is the three of clubs, an argument, stubbornness, quarrels, an advisory to watch your temper, this coming week will be rough around the edge so be challenging to keep your temper as you are tempted to dive into arguments or fights. Avoid being stubborn or stonewalling others. Try to be peaceful and not let your own rigidity lead you into meaningless fights and quarrels. Remember... Our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with the Now You Know show to get the numbers and cards when they first come out. And if you hit, remember where you get. Till then, good luck to you all. Up next, our own lovely lady from the first and second Quimby Baptist Churches of Quimby, Texas, Miss Loretta Evans with Cooking with Miss Loretta. If you need a few tips around the kitchen, or just a couple of tricks, or a ready recipe at hand, don't sweat it and don't fret it, because the Now You Know Show is here to provide you with just that that you need so much. That's right, it's time for Cooking with Miss Loretta Evans, and without further ado, here's our one and only Miss Loretta.
1: Hello, all. This is Miss Loretta Evans. It's so good to be with you all again. You know, we have Thanksgiving coming up, and it's always nice to have some sort of simple, easy little treat that you can put out either beforehand or afterwards. And tonight, I have a very simple little snack that you can put together and the kids will love it. Tonight I'm going to be giving you the recipe for Easy Peanut Butter and Jelly Cake. That's right. Now for this Easy Peanut Butter and Jelly Cake, you're going to need one package, that's an 18 ounce package, of white cake mix. Three-fourths of a cup. Of raspberry jam, one and two-thirds of a cup of peanut butter chips, two tablespoons of milk, and one-half cup of whipping cream. Now to make this fun and easy little treat, the first thing you're going to do is prepare your cake. You will prepare your cake as directed on the package for two 9-inch layers. After that's done, slice each layer in half horizontally to form two layers. Place one layer on a serving plate and spread one fourth of a cup of the jam over it and repeat with the remaining layers, ending with the plain layer on top. Now we're going to make our frosting. For our frosting, you're going to stir together peanut butter chips and milk in a medium saucepan. Heat it, stirring constantly until the chips are melted and the mixture is smooth. Let it cool until it's slightly thickened. Then beat your whipping cream with an electric mixer until stiff and gradually blend it into the peanut butter mixture. If necessary, you can cool until you're ready to get it to that spreading consistency. Then frost the tops and sides of your cake, and there you go. A easy and delightful little peanut butter and jelly cake. Your kids will be sure to like it, and I'm sure you will as well. Thank you so much for being here every week, and I hope you have some fun in your kitchen. Till then, bye-bye.
4: Wow. Okay. Um. <clears throat> peanut butter and uh, jelly cake. I I would have never guessed. I I don't even I, I guess it might be good. I okay, I'm not a big uh PB&J fan myself. I mean, I've eaten them obviously, everybody, yeah, but uh whew, my, te- my teeth my teeth kind of ache just from listening to her describe that. Although I guess really at the end it's just uh white cake with a jam. You know, and kind of a peanut buttery whipped cream on top. Anyway, (laughs) up next, the professor's pontification. This week, we're going back to my old school. Dealy Dan with My Old School. And our name it and claim it is none other than our chief engineer here at the LMC Radio Network, Troll Towelhead. Congratulations to you, Troll. You got it. He got it. Welcome to the Professor's Pontification. Tonight's pontification is titled, My Old School, or When Did You Stop Learning? Tonight, what I want to take a few moments to uh, discuss with you is an idea about education, about scholarship, about Knowledge. And it is a very problematic issue that we have, specifically in the hoodoo root work and conjure community. Uh, but you do see it somewhat in a few other spiritual communities. You do not see it as much in initiatory. Traditions. There you see something a little different. There you see questions about the validity of the initiation or the validity of the initiator or the truthfulness of the initiate having been initiated. But certainly the issue that I want to discuss with you tonight does bleed over into the pagan and neo-pagan community to some extent. But it is rife inside our own Hoodoo, Conjure, and Rootwork community. And what it is, is this. There is a lot of debate about knowledge, where knowledge comes from, where it originates from, and how one accesses it, as well as a very nasty tendency... For some people to decide that they now, quote, know it all. As you know, I try each week here to sit down and say a little something to those who are practicing or who are going to practice. And by way of that, also to those who are seeking uh, a practitioner. And one of the things I've noticed is that we have this, oh, call it an illness, if you will, that happens, which is when some of our practitioners reach a certain level of accomplishment, they just sort of go on pause, they stop. They they have what they need to know, and, and that's it. They don't continue to pursue further knowledge. They don't continue their scholarship. Now, there are a variety of reasons for this. There are some very legitimate reasons for this. They get bogged down with their work, right? Now, they're professional practitioners. They're out there. They've got tons of clients calling them every day. They've got all sorts of things to do to make, oils, soaps, mojo bags, this, that, the other thing in my case, conjure lamps, and it becomes difficult to find time to continue your scholarship. And that's a fair cop. We have a lot of other people who become rather hmm, fluffed up about their scholarship and their knowledge. And this entire issue about scholarship, about knowledge, about where you got what you know, is centric to a whole series of problems and arguments and mishigas that we have inside the Hoodoo Rootwork community. This idea of appropriate passing on of knowledge leads to a lot of snubbing and a whole level Of separation between individuals and a lot of aggrandizement as well as a smaller amount but still dangerous amount of fakery we talked about this a little bit last week about when you pretend to be somebody that you're not this is more the proof in the pudding this is more the tasting of it this is another way that some people disingenuously present themselves And they do it for a variety of reasons. Obviously, there's always the rather sinister reason that people have. You know, they just want to make some money, right, honey, so they come up with whatever. But also there are a lot of people that feel like unless their knowledge is somehow vetted by a general or accepted measure that they're not going to be welcome. So they fall down – the rabbit hole and make poor choices, and they start, you know, making up tales. And this comes out of this idea of what's appropriate knowledge and what's not. So let me try to cover this with you quickly, and we've talked about this a little bit before. First of all, we have such vicious, venomous, virulent, In fact, pretty much every V in the dictionary response to quote-unquote book learning that it just makes my head swim. I mean, I cannot for the life of me figure it the hell out. But we see it time and time again. If you learned something by reading it, regardless of the source, Regardless of where you read it, somehow that knowledge is questionable, lesser, not real, not true. And then that flies off into a whole family of different kinds of arguments. There are people that say that all written materials on the subject are disingenuous, that they're lies not necessarily lies perpetrated by the writer, but lies from the source. That basically it's a shuck and jive. That the original real people who supplied that information did so in a lying and disingenuous manner. That they did not tell the truth. That they just lied. Now certainly, anyone of sense, can see that the argument that those individuals might have held back some information, that's valid, of course, for a variety of reasons. Obviously, there's not enough time to take down everything. There's not enough room to take down everything, and you're not going to tell somebody else everything you know. But to suggest that everything out of their mouths is just bullshit a shuck and jive, a con. That seems kind of uh, back word. How are you getting your head on about that? I mean, the larger the number of sources, the larger the number of people, the more you're kind of floodhole people down. The Another school says that anything written is just lesser. It's inferior because it is written down. And that the only way that information about who to root work and conjure can be passed is orally, and only oral scholarship, only oral tutelage, is correct. Well, that's interesting. I'm not sure if I accept that. I'm not sure if I accept that the entirety of what we want to have as a community of uh, workers should be pro-illiteracy, should be hinged on only doing things in an oral tradition, but certainly there is oral scholarship, and we'll come to that in a moment. We have another camp that says that it is not the source material that is all fraudulent, it is the publisher, it is the writer. It is all fraudulent. In other words, any book you pick up that has to do with hoodoo, that has to do with root work, that has to do with conjure, again, regardless of who it's written by, whether it's a scholarly, anthropological text. Whether it's a newspaper article, whether it's anecdotal, whether it's a journal uh, in the truest sense of journalism, or whether it's published by a publisher whose intention is to not only have a good book but to make money, obviously, they're all liars. They, the writers. They, the publishers. They are all liars. And again, for a variety of reasons – they do not fit some particular status of race. That's one. They hold too high a level of scholarship. That's two. They come from two different a economic class. That's three. And it goes on and on and on. So therefore, one of the big curses that is used in our community is to say things like this. Oh, he he all he knows is book learning. All he knows is book learning. Then that is taken a further step is now we live in the information age by saying, Oh, she just learned everything she knows off the internet. Because obviously if you can't trust a book, then you sure as hell can't trust the Internet. There's nothing on the Internet worth reading. Now, the people that say that normally say it on the Internet, and on the Internet also are passing knowledge, so I'm not sure quite how they survive the tsunami of irony that comes to wash over them, but there you go. What they're really saying at the end of the day is My scholarship is correct. Those people's scholarship isn't. My learning's right. They're wrong. And you should trust me and not them. Is there an economic component? Of course there's an economic component. Sometimes is there a racial component? Absolutely. On both sides of the argument. White or black. Is there jealousy? Yes, there's jealousy. Is there envy? Yes, there's envy. But... It goes further. Let's say that somehow you avoided all this and you went and you learned only from another individual, whoever that individual is. That's how you learned all your hoodoo. That's how you learned all your root work, all your conjure. You learned it directly from the horse, right from the other workers. Well, now what happens? His people come in and say, oh, they weren't a real worker. Now again, they question the source. Well, they weren't a real worker. Well, they didn't work the way I know. Well, whatever they do, I didn't. Well, they live in some state that I don't believe is a state that has hoodoo and conjure root work, even though... They may be transplanted to that state themselves. Well, they weren't old enough. Well, I never heard of them. Well, I did hear of them, and they don't know nothing. That's the first thing they do. Then the next thing is the questioning of whether you actually learn from those sources at all. Meaning, people will say... Oh, you didn't really study under all those old workers. You didn't really study under all those people who ran all them shops or all those people who were doing all that work. You learned everything out of a book. See, now we're back to books being bad. You learned everything from that book or this book. I can prove it. Now, they never do prove it because they can't because it's not true. Why am I wasting time about all this? I'm wasting time about all this to point out to you that these are various elements that lead a lot of people in our community to stop their scholarship or to be very private about their scholarship. And that leads to a further problem, which is since I had to go through the gauntlet, since I had to go through the fire – Since I had to be taken down a peg, now I'm going to turn around and do it to those people who are coming to me for knowledge. So what ends up is we have secrecy. Now, obviously, there is professional and uh, business secrets. No one's saying we should all be running around teaching everybody how to do our particular recipe or our particular thing. But let me give you an idea to mull over in your head about secrecy. If you eliminate books, whether they are scholarly or not, whether they come out of the secular world or they come out of academia, and you say, no book is any good, you can only learn mano a mano, hand to hand, person to person, okay, ear to mouth, and then you don't teach you don't share, and you don't encourage sharing, or places where people gather together to share. Certainly not on the Internet, because everything on the internet's bullshit, right? What happens? What happens in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50, 60 years? What happens when they take you, like they're going to take all of us, to the graveyard in the coffin? Or the crematorium, if that's your preference. What happens? Well, your knowledge dies with you. Your knowledge dies with you. It doesn't take too much of this to see a great loss in hoodoo, conjure, and root work. And again, I'm not saying everybody needs to share their proprietary recipes. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're not passing on and you're one of the jackasses, and I feel you are, that doesn't believe that there can be any sort of academic knowledge gained, no books, no papers, no no folklore societies, none of that, none of that, then it now becomes your responsibility to pass on knowledge. And if you're not, then you're just creating this looming problem in the shape of a tombstone, which is where we end up burying all the old workers, and there's nothing left. See, it's a game. It's a nasty little snake eating its nasty little tail. And it goes on and on and on. And it drives a lot of our professionals, a lot of our workers, to not continue their scholarship because it can be very difficult. As well as to get very puffed up about the scholarship they have. And so they stop learning. And then pretty soon, what do we have? We have vast cliques of groups, vast little areas. This group of workers all together, that group of workers all together, this group of workers over here, and they all hate each other's guts, right? Group A doesn't like Group B, Group C doesn't like Group D, Group D won't go near Group Q. And rather than simply say, I don't get along with them, I don't agree with them. They do things in a way that I don't do. I don't like how they handle themselves professionally. They are my competitor. Whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. We could never say that. That would be too clean. That would be too high. That would be too A-OK and all right. What do we do? They don't know nothing. They don't know nothing. They're just out to make money unlike you, who's not trying to make money and pay your bills, right? You're just wandering through the world with your are your ropes and you know sitting under your trees and playing flutes. It just grows. They don't know nothing. So what happens here is rather than we having a community that encourages scholarship, we have a community That oftentimes discourages scholarship. And we have a lot of people who just stop learning. We also beat the hell up young workers, people who come in and we say they don't know enough. Who the hell do you think you are? 22 years old and you're a worker? Hell, boy!
3: I studied up in them mountains
4: for 42 years before I ever made a mojo bag, or whatever bullshit thing we want to say. So now not only are we holding on to our secrets, and again I'm not talking about proprietary secrets, I'm talking about just the knowledge. We're also not encouraging scholarship, and now we're not encouraging new young people to come in and learn. Well, if your grandbabies ain't learning and your kids ain't learning, who the hell is learning? You damn well better be teaching all of them because you're the one that believes that this only passed down hand-to-hand thing is the exemplary attitude. So now you have a responsibility to do that. And if you're not, then what the fuck use are you at the end of the day? You're just a hoarder. You're just holding on. And never letting anything back out. Now, this creates a question, which is when is a young worker ready? Well, a young worker in my book is ready to be professional, meaning they go out into the world to take clients that they don't necessarily know when they know themselves and are clean and ethical and are willing to say i don't know that's when they're ready this idea that a worker is an island alone is incredibly destructive to our community i don't it, i don't do it it's not me pal it's not me if i have a client who calls me and Emails me, messages me, does whatever, and they need some work done, and I don't know how to do it, and I don't know where to find out how to do it. I refer them on to another worker that I trust. I say, Well, I can't do that for you, but so and so can do that for you. Here's their number. I'll send them a little message saying, I'm sending you on. So when you tell them that I sent you, they'll know it's what's for, so they don't get surprised. You know what I'm saying? That's a part of it. That's a part of how you learn and how you grow. This idea that workers are supposed to be little gods, little finished products, Athenian compilations sprung complete from the head of Zeus, is destructive to us. A, because it encourages workers to take on cases they can't do. B, because rather than workers saying, I don't know, I can't, I won't, what happens is workers end up saying, "Um, your problem can't be fixed. My spirits can't – there's nothing that can be done. And we have clients going away going, "It's it's hopeless, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, it's hopeless. Rather than simply getting the kind of referral that they'd get out of any goddamn, even half assed quack general practitioner medical doctor. Go over here and see an endometriologist. Go over here and see a brain surgeon. Go over here and see a bone specialist. Go over here and see an endocrinologist. No. Instead, it's I don't know, so it can't be known. Because the ego becomes supreme in a community in which scholarship is not encouraged. It has to be. I have to know everything. I have to. I'm not saying that in a smarmy way. I mean it. I'm not being a jackass here. It's true. If that's my community, then I have to know everything. I have to hoard everything. I have to dig. I have to listen in on conversations. I have to to scramble to get every little piece of knowledge I can because knowledge is the monetary system, and that's it. And nobody's passing it around. So I've got to be as hoarding and wicked and paranoid. Oh, my God. We Jesus. Conjurers. Hoodoo is to some of the most paranoid people you'd ever want to meet. Who's trying to steal from me? Who's taking? Who's doing this? Again, because it's part and parcel of the community. Only we can stop this because it's our community. Now, before you think that this is one-sided, Let me go over here to the other side. The other side, personal communication. They don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They don't want to go find older workers, older people. They don't want to ask people. They don't want to talk to them for a variety of reasons. Shyness, embarrassment. They're not social individuals. Racism. Oh, baby. That's a goddamn one right there. That's the that's the Hillary step on Everest right there. They don't want to have to go talk to quote them folks. They don't want to have to go into quote those neighborhoods. Accusations from others that they are merely there to clamor and, you know, anthropologically study like a zoo. I mean it goes on and on and on. And they don't want any part of it. If they can't learn it in a class, at a workshop, or from a book, and Kindle, even better, because it's so tiring to turn pages, then they don't want anything to do with it. They're the opposite side. And they engage in just as much destructive behavior as the situation that we talked about a few moments ago. They turn up their nose at those who are taught more in an oral tradition, more in a family base, more in a community setting. They don't use the word down home nicely. They use it in a very ugly way. They sneer. They scowl. If you don't have some sort of academic potential attached to you or your work or how you got your learning, then they don't want to have anything to do with you. So both sides fight here. This isn't just everybody that reads a book and goes to worship is golden and wonderful and everybody that learned from at home is a scumsucker. No, 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 no. Oh, no, we have, we have villainous behavior on both sides of this goddamn fence. And it needs to come to a stop. Because not only is it destructive to our community, it's destructive to the individual worker. Because the individual worker stops learning. That's my point tonight. And I'm going to say it again. The individual learner the individual worker stops learning. The individual worker stops learning their set of tricks, of recipes, of actions, of prayers, and they stop. And they don't want to hear anything else. And they're suspicious of those who are passing out new information, more information. And it leads. To a type of intellectual conservatism that does not benefit our community, meaning somebody comes up with something that involves – oh, I know now I'm going to be a little out of date by saying this, but let's just use it – a fax machine. Now, I don't know who the fuck faxes anybody anymore, but let's just say a fax machine. And they come up with a good little piece of conjure that involves a fax machine. They come up with a good little piece of conjure that involves uh, exterior data storage devices. They come up with a good little bit of hoodoo that involves uh, DVD. They find a nice little way to put something you know, on something to get to their target, to do their work, or that involves anything in the modern world. Listen, I'm telling you, you wait. You wait. Wait till you're 10 or 15 years older than you are right now, and there's going to be a whole bunch of cell phone spells and cell phone tricks. And how do I use that with a cell phone? Because I don't really use my mailbox anymore. And what happens is intellectual conservatism scoff at that they roll their eyes now we know <clears throat> that so-and-so is not a real worker because he has a cell phone spell well la da i guess if you want to run around naked in the moonlight with your wicking dicking ficking micking stuff whatever make it up on the internet as you go along You can do whatever, but I ain't never heard of nothing ever done with no fax machine, no how, no where. And as far as I'm concerned, it ain't nothing but a waffle iron tied to a phone. Because I do real hoodoo. And away goes that new avenue, which people want and people need. Because people have fax machines and cell phones. And they're common everyday people. They're not fancy people. They're just regular people. And we know, we know this is not the way. <clears throat> we know this is not how things are done. Because the moment that photography became readily available to the common individual, it's all the fuck over hoodoo. It's 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 everywhere. Get a picture. Do this with a picture. Do that with a picture. Do this with a picture. Do this stuff. Well. Get a picture. Picture 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 picture. Put a picture against the wall. Turn it backwards. Turn it upside down. Put it under the saint statue. Put it under the candle. Uh, wrap it up in the root and bear, bury it in the grave. Cri- everywhere. But photography in the hands of the everyday individual, where it's easy to get a hold of photographs, and photographs are of a relatively inexpensive. Price … so that you can destroy them in graveyards with candles, etc., is a relatively new thing. When we have that stymied intellectual conservatism, we stop growing. So now we're not learning, and now we're not growing. Then, finally, it also breeds a massive amount of suspicion this problem that I've been talking about here for about 40 minutes. It brings a huge amount of suspicion. And it means that if knowledge is so monetized and so golden and so hoarded and so non-distributed, that means I have to hold on to it. And therefore, I must be suspicious of anyone that comes near me to get knowledge Because they're out to steal They're a spy And not in the house of love They're here to take But here's the problem Yes, there are takers We have appropriationists and exploiters and cheats and liars and jokers and thieves More than you can shake a stick at But also, we are not an initiatory system So unless you all want to get together tomorrow and, hey, jot me down for a seat, I'll be happy to be there and lay out how the fuck we are going to turn hoodoo into an initiatory system and who's going to be in charge of that, who are going to be the first individuals that initiate the rest of the individuals, and uh, are they going to be given staves by God that turn into snakes? I I don't know, but we're going to have to have something, okay? Until you're ready to do that, you have to realize this is not an initiatory system. And unless you want hoodoo royalty, which I as as an American have no interest in, you need to be moving away from the idea that there are only a small, very small set of families that, quote, kept the tradition alive – Inside their family, and therefore they can be trusted because that's what you're going to end up with if you go that path. You're going to end up with hoodoo royalty, you're going to end up with kings and queens, and then you don't have an initiatory system. You're on the outside, the rest of us are just serfs, and only they, unless we can marry in, are the ones. We have to broaden our scholarship, we have to teach. We have to do more, and we have to stop being suspicious of those who are teaching. Let me, before I close out, tell you a true story. I have been castigated and cajoled and scolded on numerous occasions by other workers and professionals and colleagues because – I engage in active as part of my work, meaning you can pay me for my time and I will teach you. You can come to me and say, I need to know how to do this old time piece of work, this this love spell, this prosperity trick, this graveyard work. And if I'm willing to take you on, Because obviously it's not just a, you have money, honey, I've got time. That's not my ethic. And I am willing to take you on. I will let you pay me for my time, and I will teach you. And I have had people take me to the post about that. What the hell do you think you're doing? You're giving away the secrets. You're doing this. And let me tell you what I think every time somebody does that. It shows me that they... Either are completely caught up in a idea about money and making money and business, and that's all that matters. Because again, we're not talking about proprietary secrets here. We're not talking about I'm giving away something that belongs to somebody else. We're talking about I'm giving away my own knowledge. Okay. Or it tells me that they come out of some other tradition and normally an initiatory tradition that teaches that – if one teaches, if one engages in tutelage, if one shows and demonstrates, then one loses personal power, that that when one teaches another how to do things, one then cannot do it themselves anymore. And that is a part of many traditions and many cultures, and I do not question that. I'm not holding that up to ridiculous scorn. It just tells me they – that might be number two. They might be coming from that. Or third, finally, it tells me that they don't know a goddamn thing about hoodoo. They do not really know about the culture. Here's the thing. This idea that we have nowadays, that you're some little person, and you just live your little life, and you go to the root worker, you go to the conjure doctor, you go to the hoodoo man or hoodoo woman, and they do everything, and you have no knowledge of it. No knowledge of it is new, is invented, and is bullshit. I said it right here tonight. You can write it down on a piece of paper and bring it to me, and I'll sign my name to it. It's bullshit. Listen, in, quote, the old days and not that old days ago, we had carpenters. Good carpenters, craftsmen, and they could do all sorts of carpentry, they could do inlay wood, they could carve, they did beautiful, beautiful work, and they made their living as a carpenter. It was a common profession. But the average person knew how to do a little fix-and-mend carpentry. The average person knew how to do a little mending, a little fixing, a little quick honeydew bit of carpentry. Nothing too elaborate, but something to get them through the average day because not everybody could always afford a carpenter all the time. And that is exactly the way that the hoodoo practitioner, that the conjure doctor, that the root doctor worked. We've gotten confused. We now think That because our great-grandmother knew two or three tricks, and they're good and they're sound and they're clearly conjuring hoodoo. She was a worker. I never knew grandma was a worker. Grandma wasn't no goddamn worker. Grandma just had sense. Grandma was a part of her culture. Grandma wasn't no fool. She didn't have to run off to the hoodoo doctor to get every little thing done. Because she knew this, that, and the other thing. And as well as work she had been done and things she had been told to do by those spiritual workers and things she had learned about in her church, in her church in her head, she passed on. That's the way it's supposed to be. The worker and the client are supposed to be able to meet together. This Wizard of Oz bullshit that we have nowadays where the worker goes behind the curtain, ignore the man behind the curtain, and does everything, and you know nothing. You know nothing. You know nothing. They don't tell you, take this candle, it's a white candle, burn this candle on a Wednesday because Wednesday is the day for whatever, Ba blah, 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 blah. You can pick up nothing. It's all a mystery that takes place behind a curtain. That's modern, and it's bullshit. And I encourage you to continue your scholarship, continue your learning, and to start thinking about who you're going to pass your learning to and how you're going to pass your learning to. And if we were all to do that and make sure that Everybody in our community knew at least a little and knew where they could learn more and how they could learn more. You know, just like in school, you learn a little history, you learn a little French, you learn a little this, you learn a little algebra. If we could do that, well, we could solve many of the ills of our community. And what a wonderful world it would be!
2: Don't know much trigonometry Don't know much about algebra Don't know what a slide rule is for But I do know what it one is two. And if this one could be with you What a wonderful world this would be Now I don't claim to be an A student but I'm trying to be For maybe by being an a student, baby I can win your love for me Don't know much about history Don't know much about biology Don't know much about a science book Don't know much about the fresh I took But I do know that I love you If you love me too What a wonderful world This would be (laughs) La, 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 la History Biology (laughs) la, 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 la
4: Oh, yes, that was, of course, Mr. Sam with Wonderful World. And our Name It and Claim It winner, partial winner, is our own Candelo Cambisa, who correctly identified it as Sam Cooke. Everyone else misidentified the song. What a Wonderful World it would be. What a Wonderful World, etc. It is simply Wonderful World. Music was originally partially done by Herb Albert of Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, believe it or not. But Sam uh, altered the lyrics to include more portions about education. Because, you know, believe it or not, Mr. Cook, like all of us here at the LMC Radio Network, was just trying to send out a signal.
3: What's that signal? Why, that's the LMC Radio Network on the air!
1: The LMC Radio Network broadcasting around the globe, bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all! It's the LMC
3: Radio Network in the vanguard.
0: LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour, hosted by Catherine Ironwood and Conjaman Ali, Sundays 3 to 4:30; Candelo's Corner, starring Candelo Kambisa, Mondays 5 to 7; The Crystal Silence League Hour, hosted by John Saint Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6; In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7. On Sacred Ground with Kai Arman, Wednesdays 5 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. And online at luckymojo.com.
1: Hello all, this is Miss Loretta Evans here to talk to you a little bit about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company. Lucky Mojo Curio Company is located at 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. And they are both an online magical shop and a real magical store that you can visit. They carry a full line of handmade spiritual soaps, uh, 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 if include excuse me I'm so sorry oh lord they just grabbed me in the hallway and told me to come do this they carry a full line of handmade spiritual supplies including occult oils incense powder candles herbs mojo baths spiritual soaps which I love books and spell kits For those who cast magic spells, love spells, money spells, and protection spells in the African-American hoodoo, pagan magic, and other witchcraft traditions, why don't you stop on by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company at 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. Bring your little ones with you. They will love to see the train set. It is just amazing, all the little work that has gone into it. And then... Afterwards, you can go over and visit the world's smallest church. That's the Missionary Independent Spiritual Church for a few moments of quiet prayer and meditation. And then go on inside the shop and browse through thousands and thousands of items From all over the world. But if you can't make it out there, don't worry. That's all right because you can find them online at www.luckymojo.com and look through their beautiful catalog in the comfort of your own home. Once again, folks, that's the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California, and online at www.luckymojo.com. Bless their hearts. When you go on in, tell them Miss Loretta Sanchi. you. Bye bye.
4: Thank, thank you, Miss Loretta. Sorry, we did, Johnny did grab her in the hall. Uh, Count Goulash wasn't able to make it tonight. So thank you so much, Miss Loretta. Up next, a little something I like to call.
2: Secrets of Scriptural Sources.
4: Tonight on the Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery, we're going to be answering some conversations and letters that were sent in. It's going to be a hot, I got to tell you. I've been getting this ready all week to the point that I, I, I just have church bells ringing in my ears at this point.
5: Now that church bells are ringing, the secretary's singing, the preacher's preaching, can't you hear the sister shouting? Children's in the poor bed,
3: mama's trying
5: to learn my song. Now they load that low down dirty deacon the stole my gal and gone. Saying, oh, my brother had them. my sister had him. My auntie had them. My mother died with them Woke up this morning And the family had to wear it blue And the people were in the corner pool, grandmammy had them too I did more for you woman Way last winter Late in the fall and when I scuffled through the summer I did more for you woman Good Lord, they never done Get out town and watch a good hand that Lord had given
4: Pretty good recording to come to us from way back in 1927, and that was, of course, the late, great Luke Jordan with Church Bell Blues, and our Name It and Claim It winner is our own Catherine Ironwood, who's serenading us with the lyrics in the chat room, folks. So if you're not in the chat room, you might want to come on over and join on in. And Mr. Jordan leads us in to tonight's Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery. Tonight's topic on the Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery is, Does the Bible Belong? I have gotten a couple of three uh, contacts uh, this week. One conversation in private chat and two emails about this topic. And uh of those I've had the gambit from uh from uh oh one side saying, I, I don't know and can you inform all the way to you've gotta be kidding, of course not, this is bullshit, blah blah blah. And so I thought I would come in here and discuss this. The question is, does the Bible belong? There has recently been a uptick in some folks saying that well, I've gotten ahead of myself here. Let me back up this bus back one block and start again. Not too long ago, the idea, the discussion about whether the Bible was ever used, really, truly, in conjure, was a hot topic. I kid you not. It's strange to imagine it. It's it's baffling to believe. But it's true. Too long ago. I'm not talking about 25 years ago. I'm talking about just, just for the freaking other day practically. This conversation, was the Bible really used by traditional, real, old time, deep south, you better believe it, African American, root worker, conjure doctor, hoodoo. Was it actually done? And this was a very, very hot-ticket topic. And it ranged all over. And there were a lot of folks who had dogs in that fight of a variety of shapes and sizes and spots and colors. And so what they had happening was this. We had a certain group of people who said, never, it was never ever used. Never, 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 never used. It was never used, period. It was not used. Bullshit, 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 bullshit. Then we had another group of people who said, whether it was used or was not used, I don't give two dams about. I ain't gonna use it. I don't wanna see it. I don't wanna hear it. I don't want it to be around me for a variety of reasons. I had a bad experience in the church. I was raised by very hypocritical, nasty type uh, church people or Bible thumping people. I don't want to deal with that. Uh, another subset of that was I'm a pagan. My devotion is to other gods. I'm not going to go back there now. There were a few other people who were just, you know, in the whole edgy, spooky kid thing that obviously if it has to do with the Bible. It's a bunch of bullshit, so they're not going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And we had people who had a social. A conscious issue about uh, this is the book of the slave master, this is book of oppression we had other people coming out of other religions saying again whether it was or not it shouldn't be because we need to return to these religions and then we had people who were devout Christians who were brought up with it being used as part of their work who said no absolutely it was then we had devout Christians saying no it wasn't because I'm a Christian that's all deviltry and witchcraft and then we had a few people quietly in the background just sort of saying, well, yes, it was, it's fact, it's history, here it is, what, you know. however you're going to deal with it or whatever you want to take it or wherever you want to go with it, it's still fact, facts don't change. And this raged and is still raging, but not quite as loudly as it was. I am just arrogant. Just egotistical enough to believe that I and my good friend, Miss McHale, and our fantastic editor and publisher, Catherine Ironwood, had a small influence on settling that fire down with the publishing of Hoodoo Bible Magic. Was that some pivotal moment, you know, we were the guy? No, 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 bullshit, no. But we we contributed to fanning down the flames rather than fanning them up, putting that book out. And that's not just some sort of cheap thing, you know, like I'm saying that because I want you to buy the book. Oh, I'd love for you to buy the book. Please, buy the book. But that's not why I'm saying it. It's because that book had a lot of fact in it. So now as I say, that conversation, although it is still ongoing, is nearly, not nearly, as contentious or heated as possible. And one of the ways I can tell that this is true is that the conversation has begun to shift in two directions. The first one direction that the way the conversation has started to shift is this. Now we have some of the people who before said no, 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 for whatever reason, I can't address all the reasons. There are too damn many of them. Are now starting to say, okay, yes, but. Yes, but. And I'll come back to what comes after comma, but in a minute. And we have another group of people who are now pitching their tents behind the ballwork of saying, well, maybe, but it shouldn't. Maybe, but it shouldn't. And so I suppose, really, that all comes down to yes, but. All right? Yes, but. Yes, but why? Yes, but it shouldn't have. And it's a damn shame. And therefore, we should get rid of it. Well, there's not really much that I can address to that. Yes, but it shouldn't. Well, what shouldn't shouldn't happen in the past is not my province. I mean, I, I got an ongoing list of shit that shouldn't happen to African Americans. Why don't you tune in and listen to In the Streets with Beverly Smith if you would like a weekly dose of what shouldn't be going on? I have a nice one. I- Jewish people, but it does. So I can't address yes, but it shouldn't. All I can say to you is follow your heart, and in the end, if you want to practice the tradition as the tradition was practiced, you're going to end up having to use a Bible. You're going to end up looking into the Bible. You're going to end up reading it. Does that mean you end up following it? No. Does that mean you end up converting? No. Does that mean you have to be a Baptist or a Methodist? or an Episcopalian, or a seven-day Adventist? No. It just means that's a part of it, and you might as well get used to it. Now, you might not give a shit about doing it the way it's done. You might want to just turn it into something you want to make it. Okay, good. Carry on. Again, I can't stop you. Instead, I want to go to this other yes, but. The other yes, but is yes, but, and then an edit. Yes, but they didn't use it all. Yes, but they didn't know how to read it. Yes, but they only did this part of it. Yes, but they had no meaning in it except to use it. Those are the ones I want to address tonight in the Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery. First of all, it's bullshit. Second of all, it's insulting. Third of all, pardon my language, fuck you. This idea that somehow when we say every part of the bible is useful and every part of the bible at some point in time has been used by some worker in the tradition somewhere is false is is maddening it it, it it's just it makes me i mean i see spots i want to just i want to it's so overwhelmingly an ignorant statement that i literally want to fall over backwards and fun with the mouth. Because what do they say? They say, oh, they only use the Psalms. Well, good Lord, help me, because I've got people saying to me on the other side, oh, there's too much use of the Psalms. Why don't you use anything else? Well, good Lord, you can't win for losing around here, can you? They only use the Psalms. They didn't use anything else. They didn't use Genesis. They didn't use... Exodus? Wow, they didn't use Exodus? Holy shit, there was nothing used. There was no magical component. There was no spiritual work done by people who were enslaved, in bondage, discriminated against, fucked over, and living under the rule of the modern-day plantation-owning pharaohs, and they didn't use Exodus. Well, who would have thought it? News to me, they only use the Old Testament. They didn't use the New Testament. Well, first of all, if I could verify that, I'd publish it everywhere. My little Jewish heart would be all aflutter. Oh, look, they only use the, the old, the quote Old Testament. They, oh, do they only use the first five books? Do they only use the Torah? I'm I'm a Twitter with delight, but no, that's not so. They only use the New Testament. They never used the Old Testament. Well, I know a number of modern-day fundamentalists who would just get a a Twitter about that, but no, it's not so. And then what value of it? If they only use this little part or that little part, if only the Psalms are useful, if only the, the Proverbs or, as Dr. Carson calls them, the proverbs are useful to you, then what value in the rest? And how did somehow the Psalms become just valuable? How are only they magical? Because they're spells? No, they're songs. But you don't know the tune. I don't know the tune. If the Jews don't know the tune to the Psalms, then nobody knows the tune to the Psalms. You can make up a new tune, but that's just the way it is. Why? Why are just the Proverbs useful? In other words, either this book is magical or this book is not. Either there is power in it, in its words and how you use it, forwards or backwards, thank you, Miss Catherine Ironwood, either it's there or it's not. So when you come in and you say, yeah. Okay. Fine. I finally got beaten down by facts. They used the Bible, but they only used, but they only used uh, Ephesians. They only used. They only used Ephesians.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: No, really. Really. They only used the the middle part, the end of the middle part of Revelations on a on a Tuesday. Then what you're really doing is trying to sell some story that aggrandizes your position. What you're trying to do is say, all I know is that, and that's all I ever heard from my people or my scholarship, and therefore, ah, look, oh, look, oh, look, it's dovetailing with the professor's pontification. Dovetail, dovetail. And therefore, I'm going to shut down greater scholarship because it threatens what I have. So it's simply not true. And that would mean that the Bible could never be used talismanically itself. First of all, how would you ever do bibliomancy if you're just using Psalms? Second of all, how would you ever use the Bible with quitomancy with a key if there's no magic in it? Etc, etc, etc. So that's the first yes but The next yes but which really gets me hot under the collar is yes they used it but they didn't know how to read it. They didn't understand it. It had no meaning to them. Again, pardon my language. Fuck you. Really? You're going to kick dirt in the face of all those people? They never sat and read the Bible for inspiration. They didn't have a passage of the Bible that was meaningful to them. They had no understanding in it. They learned nothing from it. It offered them nothing. It's just a magical talisman to tear pages out of and burn, to wipe your ass with, I guess, to curse. To do whatever you want with. There's no, there's nothing further there. Again, am I saying it's truth? It's the only truth? It is the way and the light? I didn't say that. I'm saying that you're saying that those people found nothing else in it. Of course they did. If it meant nothing to them, why did they write down the births and dates? Who died? Who was born in the front of that Bible? Why? Just because it was a handy place? Hell back of a grocery sack is a handy place in a bible let me ask you that one real quick why keep money in a bible it's a good place to hide money it's a rotten place to hide money are you kidding me are you joking really every thief in the world knows to look in the bible for money because people did it so much and if people are doing it so much, then I guess it's not a goddamn secret, is it? I guess they're not doing it just to hide money. Why not stuff it into the mattress? Why not put it in a coffee can? Why not put it in the cookie jar? These are all places people have traditionally hid money as well here in America. Coffee cans, cookie jars, in mattresses, under mattresses. Why not, why not do that? Why not do that? Because obviously there's another component here. There's a blessing to it. It's sanctified. It's holy. And therefore, there is meaning. Then the final yes but that I want to address with you this evening is yes but we don't need to any more. This one's a doozy. Yes, but we don't need to anymore. All right. Breaks into a couple of camps. The first camp says that the Bible itself is inherently toxic. That Abrahamic traditions are terrible. That they're patriarchal. That they're oppressive. That they're slave-owning-driven that they are just wicked in every level.
3: And that's all of them. Every last
4: one of them. And don't come at me with any facts about the fact that Judaism isn't exactly patriarchal. Because it is. Because I know. I'm not a Jew, but I know. In other words, I don't need to talk to you. This says the reason that it was used, but we shouldn't use it anymore, is because there is, for lack of a better way of putting it, a level of toxicity to it that there is a moral responsibility to avoid it now. You know, just like we run around cutting out the hearts out of all the beautiful little hummingbirds because the hummingbirds are endangered. You know, I mean, when I grew up, there were hummingbirds everywhere. Now the only time I see hummingbirds is when I go to California. So I'm not going to catch a little hummingbird and cut his little heart out, you see, because I want the hummingbirds to live. So, therefore, I feel that I have a responsibility to not do the work that requires the hummingbird heart. These people are saying the same thing. They're saying the Bible itself is toxic. It's destructive. Its cultures are destructive. Whether they are Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Islamic, doesn't matter. Druze, doesn't matter. They are all terrible and their very structure is terrible and their book is poisonous and therefore we should stop using it well I don't know what to say to you I mean I can't what am I going to say to you you know first of all it's not a verifiable fact it's not like hummingbird populations frog populations uh, you know the cruelty of boiling cats alive okay it's not something that you know there it is it's It's an opinion. It's not a fact. It's an opinion. Well, I can't argue your opinions with you. All right? Me, I don't like green beans. I don't like them. You can go ask my wife. She's in the chat room. I don't like green beans. I don't want to be around green beans. I don't want to smell green beans. I don't want to see them in my refrigerator. I don't want to waste my money having them bought. They're foul. They reek. I hate them. Go away, green beans. Is that a fact? No, there are many people who love green beans. But if I wanted to carry it on, I could say, everybody who likes green beans
3: is evil
4: because you're either with me or against me. There's no, there's no talking to opinion. You can talk facts. You can discuss opinions. But I can't change your opinion. Only you can change your opinion. And if you believe that the Bible is that toxic, that it should be expunged from hoodoo conjured root work. Okay. But I will say to you, that is how you feel, then you probably should stop practicing hoodoo. You need to go find something else. You need to go someplace else. Okay? You just you just cannot I mean <laughs> why are you here to try to translate this? Well, there's a lot of savior complex people who think they're here to take care of us. All right, fine. But again, there's not much I can do with you. In that, yes, but. Yes, but it shouldn't be because it's toxic. Then there's a further. The further is, yes, but we don't need to because we have other alternatives. This is a little different. This I can I can I can address this one. You are coming into Hoodoo. You picked Hoodoo. Hoodoo didn't pick you. You're here. <clears throat> I don't care what your sex is, I don't care what your politics are, I don't care what your race is, I don't care where you learned it. You are here with it, it is not there with you. And who the hell are you to now decide on your high horse, what's oh so good now? Now we can make it about, well, you know, we'll just take all the Bible out and we'll just uh, translate it all to the uh, uh, Elder Adas, right? We'll just, it's all, you know, Thor mojo bags and uh, Freya nine day candles and uh, Loki, Loki, Loki crossroad work. We'll go down to the crossroads to meet Loki. Okay? You came in. If you don't like it, then you out. So the question is, does the Bible belong? Yes, the Bible belongs. Yes, the Bible is used in Hoodoo and Conjure. You cannot change that. Does that mean you must be Christian? No. I'm not. Oh, but you're part of one of them Abrahamic. Well, well okay, I am. Fair enough. But that's just the way that is. All right, But you need not be. You can be pagan. But just as you would wish respect to your ways, you must show respect to this. I can never respect that because that is the oppressor's tradition. Then get out. Then leave. Then do yourself a favor. Do us a favor and go. Go on. Bye-bye. Go. Because you're just going to find this hurtling block again and again and again. And if you don't, if you do manage – to just somehow alter it and change it and connive it and switch it around, you're not going to end up with hoodoo when you're done. I don't know what you're going to end up when you're done. And if it doesn't work, don't come crying to me about it. Now, that is not to say that there is not an entire level of hoodoo that doesn't involve the Bible. Of course there is. There's tons of stuff in hoodoo, conjure and rootwork, that does not use any part of the Bible. That uses nothing like that. And by all means, go and do that. Okay? But realize that you're missing out. So, in conclusion, in tonight's Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery, Professor Porterfield, yes, does the Bible belong? Damn right it does. Up next, we're going to go into the kitchen. We're going to be looking at red pepper. That's right, red pepper. We're going to sprinkle it everywhere. We're going to sprinkle it, we're going to put it on candles, we're going to put it on dolls, we're going to we're gonna put it up and down the sidewalk.
3: Hey, get out, out of the way. What are you trying to do? Knock the streetcar off the track. You're so dumb, you should be the president of the Devon Dumb Society. I'm sorry, boss, but i got the sidewalk blues.
4: Now we've got a lot of partials here. All right. First of all, our name and winner for naming the song, our winner is Stephen Rowand. Good work. You got it. That's Sidewalk Blues. Absolutely correct. Winton Marcellus? Are you kidding me? No. Our next partial is Catherine Ironwood, Jelly Roll Morton. That is correct. Jelly Roll Morton. Morton. But Catherine, Catherine, you knew what we were going to go and talk about in the kitchen. You should have, you should have, you should have nailed it right on. That was Jelly Roll Morton and his Red Hot Peppers with Sidewalk Blues from 1926. We hope you enjoyed it. And that takes us into Tonight's In the Kitchen segment. And tonight we're going to be talking about red pepper. So red pepper, also known as African bird pepper, cayenne pepper, chili pepper, guinea pepper, guinea red pepper, and red hot pepper. If you have been doing a hoodoo and you haven't to use red pepper yet, Honey, you're missing out. I uh, you really seriously, pay close attention. Slide your beautiful and delicate shell-shaped ear right up near the 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 speaker. Okay, because here we go. Red pepper, as you well know, is used to flavor foods and we can in fact find it in our kitchens. But like black pepper, it has also been used to work so-called enemy tricks. It is the central ingredient in goofer dust, crossing powder, and, of course, hot foot powder. Got hot foot powder? It better have some red pepper in it. And a subsidiary ingredient in four thieves vinegar, all of which are variously employed to jinx an enemy in family, money, job, and health matters and to drive hated people. So, what are a few ways that we can use this? Well, you can do a yard or shoe treatment against an enemy. To do this, red pepper, either alone or in combination with salt, black pepper, graveyard dirt, goofer dust, snake sheds, and or sulfur is sprinkled around an enemy's home or in his or her shoes or stockings to cause hard luck, trouble, or a departure. I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to do something that's a little unusual. I'm going to give you a piece of work of my own since tonight we're talking about scholarship. If you need to drive someone away, You need them gone. In other words, you're going to hotfoot them. You can take the six of spades and the nine of spades, their name down the middle of each card. In other words, you're going to turn each card sideways, and you're going to write their name and a command such as be gone. If you don't have their name, you can use a description, the guy down the street selling drugs, uh, the person who's doing the whatever, and be gone. Then you're going to balance these two cards against each other, making a triangle, as if you're preparing to start the base for a house of cards. In fact, you've made the simplest and smallest house of cards you can. Light a match. There's your sulfur. Burn these cards up. Burn these cards up okay, to ash. You burn their house down collect the ash from these two burnt cards mix it in equal parts with red pepper and then sprinkle that mixture around where they live on the sidewalk on their porch if you can get to it safely in their yard etc to drive them away so there there's a little scholarship from tonight to see we got to share this out another use for is a sinking bottle Typically, a bottle spell intended to hurt an enemy contains the enemy's name paper and hair, red pepper, salt, black pepper, and sulfur, and is stopped up and placed where the enemy must walk over it. But people who live near the ocean have an interesting variant that is said to cause slow, painful sickness and eventually death. The bottle is fixed and stopped up tightly as usual, but then a small hole is punched in the metal cap and the bottle is thrown into a a place where the tide flows, where the tide is ebbing. As it floats out to sea and slowly sinks, so will the enemy's fortunes and health begin to fail. You can also use red pepper as a red pepper packet spell to undermine an enemy. To slowly and subtly weaken an enemy or competitor, you can fold some red pepper, whole black pepper corns, and graveyard dirt into a piece of paper on which you have written your enemy's name. Fold this name paper packet into a piece of black cloth, tie it with black thread, and hide it in the enemy's house, car, or place of business. How can I hide it in their car if I can't get I don't want to break into somebody's car. You can hide it up under their car. You can hide it in the bumper. You can also use red pepper to send an enemy away. Write your enemy's name in pencil on a black hen's egg and soak the egg for nine days in four thieves' vinegar to which you have also added red pepper and black salt. At midnight, carry the egg to a crossroads, and holding the egg in your hand, dance around the forks of the road, cursing your enemy and sending your hatred into the egg. At the climax of your dance, throw the egg sharply to the ground, breaking it, and then walk away silently and quietly, and do not look back. Here's our little Bible segue, just like they told Lot's wife, do not look back. And then finally, you can also use red pepper to cause inflammatory confusion in an enemy's household. To do this, you would mix red pepper flakes with equal part mustard seeds, grains of paradise, and excuse me, whole black peppercorns and poppy seeds. You know, you can find almost all that in your kitchen. Grind the mixture to a powder by hand, cursing your enemy's household and your enemy the entire time, and then throw the powder on your enemy's doorstep. Again, somewhat similar to what we saw with doing the ash with those playing cards. There are a lot of uses for red pepper. And let me first advise you to make sure that you understand there's a difference between red pepper and grains of paradise. They are separate. They are different. Do not confuse them, please. Uh, And they have dissimilar uses in Hoodoo. Red pepper is a jinxing and heating herb, while grains of paradise is primarily used for good luck and protection. Although, when you put them together, with red pepper, it can also be used to put a jinx on someone, as we just discussed. And there are quite a number of uses of red pepper, and you see red pepper come up again and again and again in Hoodoo. so please go out, here's your chance to increase your scholarship, and learn a bit this week about red pepper. Our information for the In the Kitchen section comes to us each and every week from our own knowledge and from Hudu Urban Root magic, a Materia Magica of African American Conjure by Miss Catherine Ironwood, and we thank her for its use and inclusion in the show each and every week. Well, what a fine time we have had tonight, and it has just breezed by. I mean, I turn around and, hell, the show's pretty much over. I want to just, first of all, thank you for being here with me each and every week as you are, It really is a joy to do this show. I like it so much. And I hope that in some small way, I'm doing some good in the world. That's the point of this. You know, like our quote that uh, Charlie Witherspoon uh, read us from Jean Tierney, who was a beautiful and fantastic actress. Why am I here? I have no desire to just sit here and puff up my ego for an hour, you know an hour and 20 minutes, whatever, however long, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours. I hope that people are getting something out of this. And I hope that you will take to heart this idea of not stopping your learning. Do not stop learning. Do not ever get to the point where you feel I know enough. You may know enough to do what you need to do, and by all means, Please do not get into the trap of just learning and never taking action. First we learn, then we do. So please do. Please take action. But while you're taking your action, keep looking. Keep learning. Keep talking to people. Most importantly, keep talking to people. If we can't reach each other, if we can't share, if we can't learn, if we can't show compassion and caring and understanding for each other, then the kind of things that we saw happen this last week all over the world become the norm rather than the exception. Learning will take you anywhere, and you can learn, and you can communicate. Don't just learn from a book. Learn from people. Don't just learn from people. Pick up a book. Broaden your horizon. And then go and study a Bible if you want to do hoodoo effectively. There's lots in it. While you're at it, maybe pick up some red pepper at your grocery store, both powdered and in flake and even whole, and put those to good use. I live in Texas. There's so many red peppers that you know it's not hard for me to find. But you can find them where you are, too. Trust me. If you live in the West, you can definitely find red pepper. In fact, when the show goes off, I'm going to go have tamales and chili because it's a cold little night here. Once again, thank you for being with us each and every week. And I do enjoy it. So I wish we could go on and on and on. But Miss Loretta uh, has already left. Johnny left. Johnny left with a woman. She came and picked him up. I could
1: see them out the window of the studio. That's date number two. Keep your cringers crossed for Johnny. We don't know her name yet. He hasn't brought her around. Keep it on the down low, just between me and all three or four hundred of you.
4: And, uh, Charlie Witherspoon's gone back to wherever Charlie Witherspoon goes. And it's just me here. Turn out the lights soon. And, uh, I mean, that's just it. I mean, there's nothing left. This is just the end.
3: Ah, this is not the end. Uh, It is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Texas and go to Texas Cattle and double back to Ford West. I'm on down to Dallas, Tinkong Kitty. I'm into the territory in Kansas City and Kansas City, and St. Chicago. I'm on my way to